0: Welcome back to episode number 97 of the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast, Self-Compassion, with special guest Marilyn Kowalski, CSCS, and PCC coach. So in this episode, we dove deep with Marilyn into self-compassion, which is... Honestly, the key, if you are hard on yourself and you are your own worst critic and you're stuck in your journey in some way, shape or form, this is going to be the key for you. And there are so many actionable tools, tips, and tricks for you to take away and actively practice self-compassion with yourself and see progress that you probably have never seen before from these tools. Now we do not interrupt this show midway with sponsored ads or asking you for ratings and reviews. So while you're getting settled, we ask that you just take two seconds to support our show by giving it a five-star review on Apple podcasts or Spotify ratings and reviews allow us to bring more knowledgeable and influential people onto the show for you to learn everything possible about science and sustainability with respect to your goals. If you liked this episode in particular, screenshot it and tag us on Instagram to show your support. One share could be the catalyst for someone in your life to transform their body, their health and their fitness for good. And of course it helps our show grow too. And we appreciate that. Thanks again for listening. We don't take your attention for granted. So let's get right into it. Episode number 97, self-compassion with special guest coach Marilyn Kowalski. Welcome back to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Marissa Roy, here with my co-host Christina Lynn. It's so weird doing this myself instead of you. But today we have a special guest and that is why I'm doing the intro um, because I know her pretty darn well. So we have Marilyn Fowalski. Uh, she is a coach for PCC, my business, and uh, she has a plethora of certifications that I will let her talk about. But um, she is an amazing, amazing coach. She's made such an impact on so many lives. And today we're going to talk about having compassion for yourself and your journey, which I think is one of the most understated things that people don't really think about when it comes to health and fitness and getting in shape. So this will be a really good discussion. And if you tend to be hard on yourself, if you tend to be your own worst critic, if you tend to tell yourself to suck it up and do better this is going to be the episode for you. So Marilyn, how about you introduce yourself and you can really just kind of dive into your background with, you know, bodybuilding, fitness, coaching, and just kind of tell us how you got to where you are.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. So yes, I was just telling Marissa how nervous I am for this, um, which is ironic because I'm here. We're going to talk about self-compassion and like literally hours leading up to this podcast. I was like, what if I screw up? What if I go on a tangent? And that's like the total opposite of self-compassion. So have patience with me today. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about myself. So um, I I am a fitness coach, obviously, with PCC. I started officially online coaching in 2019. I actually made a pretty big career change. So my educational background is in speech and language pathology. So I used to practice as a speech language pathologist. And that was from 2016, that's when I did my graduate degree until 2000 and I guess like 19, 2020, that's when I like fully went on board with coaching and I was like fading away from speech pathology. So yeah, I was a personal trainer in undergrad and that was kind of like my absolute passion. Um, I started bodybuilding in 2012. Uh, after just having like a really bad relationship with food, um, I discovered bodybuilding just at the gym. I was like, uh, oh gosh, it was like probably the worst day. I just remember, um, I started like lifting at the gym because it made me feel really strong and I was just really down in the dumps that day. And I had kind of had a breakthrough with like my eating disorder at the time, because I had been like suffering from an eating disorder from high school up until college. And I found out first semester of college about bodybuilding. Someone came up to me at the gym and they were like, you should compete in bodybuilding. Um, I was really, really thin at the time. So I think he probably saw potential in me because I was like super lean and had a little bit of muscle tone from just like playing tennis and lifting in the past. And I just remember um, getting hooked on it because it was like the first time I was actually learning a little bit about nutrition and training properly. So yeah, I've been bodybuilding since 2012, but my career came to like a short end in 2016. I got really sick and, um, yeah, all those years of just like bodybuilding, eating disorders and getting sick and then not really having control over my nutrition or like my weight or my training, because I was so sick, um, taught me a lot about myself, taught me a lot about fitness and nutrition beyond the textbooks and everything like that. Um, so, Let's see, I made the switch in 2019 to go do online coaching. And that's when I like started racking up all the certifications. That's when I was looking into like master degree programs in exercise science and sports nutrition. So, um, just for like a little background on my like education, my certification. So I have my certified strength and conditioning specialist certification. I have my NASM personal training certification. I have my precision nutrition coaching certification. I have my CrossFit level one trainer certification. I have a few other certifications in strength and conditioning as well. Um, like the strength systems, uh, I believe it's called international course. Honestly, I forget because it's been so long since I've completed it, but I do have a few certifications in that as well. And I'm currently working on pre and postpartum certification as well. Um, so lots of certifications, I'm clearly obsessed with this stuff. Um, and that's kind of just like what got me into coaching, like My own personal experience with it all and my own struggles and wanting to help others through the same stuff. So I tried to kind of condense my story. I know it was probably all over the place. Um, But I guess at the end of the day, like the reason I made the switch from speech pathology into coaching was because I was just obsessed with it. I have such a large passion for coaching and for helping others and I wasn't really accomplishing that through speech pathology. So I hope that all made sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Awesome. So kind of want to give the audience a little bit of a background of, you know, say why we're bringing you on for this topic in particular, Um, your clients will know intuitively why that is, but um, I think compassion, self-compassion is something that, is very intertwined in this podcast um without really speaking about it being kind to yourself, giving yourself grace, not striving necessarily for perfection, not beating yourself up when you're not perfect. These are all things that we talk about pretty much every episode <laughs> like things need to work best for you. You need to figure out like what's going to be sustainable in the long run. Like that's the whole mission of this podcast, but in particular I don't think we've really ever just directly addressed how do you be nicer to yourself (laughs) in this journey? Um, and so, you know, that's something that you've brought a lot of value to our coaching staff with is really actually giving our clients and our, and our staff tactical tools on how to actively exercise self-compassion, how to understand it as a concept, and then actually apply it to our lives. So that's why I thought this would be a good fit. and. I guess, Christina, where do you think we should start with all of this?
2: <laughs> well, I think it would be super interesting. So I know that you you mentioned, Marilyn, that you had gone from just kind of like using the gym and bodybuilding as an outlet. But then I, I'm interested to know like how you made this switch to coaching or like even with your degree in, in, you know, coaching and I'm sorry, with speech and language pathology, because it's very similar to me. I was a school counselor. So I used to be in the schools and now I do coaching full-time. But I'm interested, like how you even got to the point where you decided to take on your first client or like like, that journey. Yes. Okay. Thank you for asking that because
1: I, I wanted to go into that. And I think I just wanted to keep that introduction as brief as possible. So I Honestly, I started out with like my own kind of pursuit of fitness and nutrition. I wanted to learn just for myself. And then in college, you know, when you're doing bodybuilding, I'm sure you both have experienced this. People start asking you questions and they're like, What are you doing? Like, how are you doing it? And at the time, I was just basically telling people, like, giving them free information, like, This is what I'm doing. It might not be for you, but it's, like what I found freedom with, like, you know, bodybuilding kind of taught me a lot about nutrition and a lot about how to manipulate how you feel and how you look. And so I felt that I learned a lot of that, like experiential, is that a word? Experiential knowledge, I guess, um, through just my own experiences and everything like that. Um, And then when people started asking me, I noticed some people like really, really benefited from the, the information I was giving them. And that felt really good, I'm not gonna lie. I was like, wow, like helping people, this is great. And I think that what drew me to speech pathology in the first place was the fact that I got to help people but I wasn't so interested in the content. And the speech pathology field is an enormous field. There's so many things that you can work on with speech pathology, so many different populations you can work with. But for me, it was um, honestly just a very draining, emotionally draining environment because You have a lot of people with, you know, disorders, dysfunctions, um, a lot of severe issues, and you see a lot of sad things as well. So for somebody who is an empath, like I definitely self-identify as an empath, it was very, very hard to be around that. So I don't really know exactly what drew me to coaching, except that I had this gut instinct that I'd be not only good at it, but I would really, really enjoy it. And that'd be able to take some of the knowledge that I learned through working with clients in speech pathology and take it to like another level and to really impact people in a more positive way. Um, Not to say that obviously, you know, working with disorders is bad, but like working with people with dysfunction and in these really serious medical conditions was just, like I said, too draining for me. And so working with people on bettering their lives when they have the opportunity to do it was really meaningful to me to even prevent some of these diseases that I was, you know, seeing were causing strokes and um, other issues in the hospitals as a speech pathologist. Um, And then I guess what happened was I went to graduate school for speech pathology, just to kind of backtrack a little bit, and I realized I wasn't really a fan of clinicals for the purposes or the reasons that I described. Um, I graduated and then I realized I didn't want to do clinical work, so I went to Georgia to pursue my PhD I decided. If i'm not going to do clinical work, I need to do something with my degree in speech pathology and I was too afraid to make that leap into coaching, even though I knew deep down, I was like. Oh, this is what i'm obsessed with I was like coaching one of my friends on the side. Um, So I moved to Georgia did one semester of a PhD here and I noticed that I was so interested, not in speech pathology research, but in the research on exercise science, on psychology, on mindset, on nutrition. That was what I was obsessed with. And it got to a point where I was reading more research articles in those fields than speech pathology. I can actually look back, I have like a whole binder of the research articles that I read in my first semester. It's like super thick, I printed them all out. And I would say about 80% of them are Nutrition and exercise science and psychology papers. So that was kind of like a big sign to me that my natural, like I gravitated naturally towards that side of things. And I don't really know why. I think that we're, I, I, I don't want to say we're like put on earth for one purpose. I don't think that's it, but I think my personality naturally gravitated towards those things. And I could not stop thinking about it. I just always had the dream of doing online coaching and working with people all over the world so yeah I got really lucky that Marissa reached out to me last year to join the team so thank you Marissa it was like the best decision of my life and um it's given me a lot of experience working with clients as well and taught me a lot as well so yeah
0: I like that good question Christina because I feel like that gave a better background as well um I think maybe we start by defining some concepts and then we get into application, both in our own, our, all of our own walks in our own fitness journey, but also how it's helped us with clients. So Marilyn, uh, let you take the floor for this, but define self-compassion for us, what it is and, uh, you know, how do we do it better?
1: <laughs> yeah. So it is um a pretty interesting uh i guess concept because it's not just love yourself like a lot of people think it's not that simple um dr kristen neff actually i think like pioneered a lot of the self-compassion research and defines self-compassion as having three key elements so number one self kindness common humanity and number three mindfulness and the opposites of all of these are self-judgment isolation and over identification So element number one self kindness, this is basically when you are um, when you have unconditional acceptance towards yourself, you are towards yourself, you are reacting with kindness and understanding. Even when experiencing negative events so it's kind of having that like warmth, that kindness um, and non judgment towards yourself and the opposite of that is self judgment and that looks like criticism ignoring our pain like belittling ourselves kind of being like. Um, you know, like I'm trying to think when people belittle like your emotions, like, Oh, it's not that bad. Like suck it up. Right. Um, getting angry when we fall short of expectations and that can lead to like increased stress and frustration. So that's self-kindness in a nutshell and self judgment. And then we have common humanity. So, um, this is understanding that all people are imperfect. We all fail. We all make mistakes. We all experience serious life challenges and um, that is really important in helping us view our life as a part of a larger human experience and realizing that we all go through really tough times and that it's okay to make mistakes. Um, The opposite of that is isolation, so believing that we are maybe the only person that's suffering, the only person that's making mistakes, and not accepting that inadequacies are actually a very normal part of life, and we all have them, like, if we were all amazing at everything, that would be great, but that's just not the case, and I think that um, we can all relate and have that common humanity when we realize we all fall short in some ways, and that's okay. And then the third element is mindfulness, so... This is holding emotions and non-judgmental awareness. So being aware that maybe we're experiencing something painful, but in a balanced way and not having judgment about that. Um, the opposite of this is over-identification. So it's really important to pay attention to our thoughts, but not in a way where we are like over-identifying with those thoughts and getting carried away by some sort of storyline that we make up in our heads. So, um, mindfulness doesn't amplify painful thoughts or emotions it allows us to kind of sit with it hold it in this non-judgmental space so that is self-compassion in a nutshell
0: awesome yeah i think the biggest one that like really kind of comes up with where people fall short of this at least that i've noticed in practice and you know what we notice with clients on calls is that over identification of you know that that thought of we have a thought that comes through our head that's like, "Hey, you screwed up. You overate. That sucks. You're a failure." And that is a thought, and I think we often think that we have to acknowledge that as truth just because it came into our head. Uh, so that's like one of my favorite parts of this whole concept is that mindfulness aspect and you know, if you've ever downloaded like a, like a mindfulness app where it's like, you know, you sit there and you breathe for 10 minutes and your head's racing and you're like, oh my God, I'm not doing this right. But one thing that's always stuck with me is imagining your thoughts as if they are a river that you're sitting by and watching and your thoughts are flowing past you, but you're not in the river. You're not being carried down with the tide. And that's what over-identification really is. And like, to me is, thinking about if I was being swept away in the rapids, that is, you know, the thoughts just carrying me away. I am a failure. I am a screw up. I'm never going to get this right. I'm terrible at this, whatever it is versus just watching the stream pass and saying, those are my thoughts. I see them, but I'm not jumping in.
2: Yeah. Another good thing that I like to think about in this sense is like So I think that a lot of times we're super hard on ourselves. And I know that we, we constantly have these conversations like, Hey, you know, would you talk to a friend that way? And you're like, Oh God, no, (laughs) Like that would be really rude. And it's like, well, then why do you talk to yourself that way? Like you spend the most time with yourself. So why would you have those conversations? So it's very similar. Like you were saying, it's like, you know, or thinking about if a friend were to speak that way with, to you or with you, you'd probably not want to hang out with that person anymore. So like, Why would you say those things about yourself?
1: Absolutely. And I think, um, so Dr. Kristen Neff, she has a website. I've referred so many clients to this website. It's called self-compassion.org. And she has a bunch of exercises on there. And one of the exercises, the first exercise actually is how would you treat a friend? And so basically you would like journal about, you know, a time that a close friend, Um, is struggling in some way and how you would respond to that friend and you would write it down. And then you would think about how you're struggling and how would you respond to yourself and kind of have that mindfulness and self-awareness over the differences between those two. And then you might even um, write to yourself as a friend as well. So she has a bunch of exercises like that. They're really wonderful. And I love that perspective on uh, self-compassion and building self-compassion.
2: Yeah. And I think that, that sometimes it's really hard. And I know, even as like a psych major, like I would still sometimes like the whole kind of like self-love, self-compassion, sometimes it can feel very like, kind of like, like Marissa, you know, like the toxic, toxic, toxic positivity. Um, And it just kind of sounds like, I don't know, like foo-foo, you know what I mean? But if you think about like, like, how often you talk to yourself and and how just making small teeny tiny changes to how you talk about yourself or even just how you phrase things built up over a long period of time can make a huge huge difference and it's something that I just kind of was like yeah whatever like brushed over but the older I've gotten I don't know if this is you know getting older and wiser. <laughs> um or just you know from experience it's just like it's like wow no this actually really does make a really big difference. Yeah, oh
0: my gosh. And I think a lot of times so we're talking about this topic and I think what's really important to say right now before we get more into it is why the heck is this important in health and fitness. And here's the thing, I think that self-compassion is often confused with like you said the woo woo love yourself no matter what and like I think a lot of people confuse that for complacency and for being content with where you are and not changing when you know they they feel that the opposite of self-compassion is kick yourself in the ass get up do the thing be better get more in shape lose the fat, whatever. Right. And we think that it has to be that way where it's like, if we are disciplined, then we are also hard on ourselves and we're pushing ourselves, when in reality, it really is kind of the opposite. Like Self-compassion is the key to actually being consistent for a lot of people. Most people, I would argue, and especially the people that I know we all work with, is people that are so hard on themselves that it just leads to self-sabotage. It just leads to negative behaviors because we don't know anything but beating ourselves down and keeping ourselves short of reaching whatever goal it is because we don't know how to be kind to ourselves. So I think it's really, really important to understand that why we're talking about this is not to beat someone listening into submission that you must just be comfortable and happy with where you are, but actually the, the key to changing is ultimately learning how to be skilled at this and get better at this so that you can transform your body, your mind, your lifestyle in a positive way, long-term.
1: Absolutely. And I think, like you said, a lot of people tend to associate self-compassion with like this excuse to overindulge or to um, engage in like behaviors that are unwanted. Right. And that is just so not the case. And I did, you know, look at multiple studies and there's so many studies that do suggest that people with more self compassion, not only are more successful with dieting, but I mean it's linked to so many other benefits and I even just wrote them down here so I'm going to just go through them because there's an enormous list and I think it's really important to just drill this into people's heads because it can make such an impact on your livelihood and on how you feel so Self-compassion is also linked to greater psychological well-being, happiness, better self-regulation of eating behaviors, if we're talking about dieting, um, personal initiative, greater responsibility of actions and failures, emotional intelligence, curiosity, a greater capacity to deal with pressure when we're thinking about a client who is, let's say, on vacation and they have to diet or whatever, how are they dealing with that, that pressure? I think that's really important to note there, less fear of failure, less rumination, less perfectionism, less likelihood of overeating, decreased body shame and body dissatisfaction. And both of those are actually associated with eating disorders and unhealthy behaviors, decreased physical activity and psychological issues like depression and anxiety. Um, And one of the things I read in one of the articles I looked at The other day was self compassion also gives people an alternative way of valuing themselves beyond external appearance, because if we think about societal standards. We are shown that we have to be skinny, we have to be fit, we have to be X, Y, and Z, and if we don't fit that bill, then of what society actually values then we we don't feel good about ourselves, but when we have self compassion and kindness, despite not meeting those standards that's when we start to value ourselves beyond our external appearance. So I know that was a a pretty large list, but there's more. (laughs) And this was just like the tip of the iceberg. Um, And to me, this sounds like somebody who is a happier, more resilient, fun, and successful person. So self-compassion is so important. Well, that,
0: you know, what you said, that last thing, they value themselves beyond just, you know, society standards when you have, an internal sense of self-worth, what does that lead you to do? Take actions that actually benefit you because you value yourself and you don't think you're just a worthless piece of crap, right? So um, I think it just, it works so in reverse than, than most people will think that it would if they clicked on this episode and they're listening to it. Like, hopefully we're just absolutely blowing your minds right now. So <laughs> we can drop the mic, that's the episode, bye. Um, no, actually, Uh, You made me think of actually a client that we literally talked to uh, today, and so we were were talking to a client earlier, and basically she was kind of stuck in her progress, and she was feeling really down, really hopeless, Um, and basically I asked her, okay, well, you know, you said you wanted to dial it in more, and you haven't really been able to do that what is dialing it, does dialing it in mean to you? And she was like, well, it means hitting my macros every day. It means hitting all four of my workouts that are programmed for me and like going on a run if I have extra time and like just doing extra. And I was like, so basically what you just said was dialing it in is doing either 100% or beyond, but not anything below 100%. And she was, I like, hopefully when I said that back to her, she was like, oh yeah, that doesn't sound right. Right. Because like, we definitely emphasize on this podcast and our practices, just not aiming for perfection, but aiming for excellence, aiming for progress. And so with her, we basically figured out that she had a very low threshold for like any tolerance for error for herself, low self-compassion probably in that process. So when she would miss one day, she would then you know, forego the whole week or multiple days that week. And then she would set herself farther back. And so I think, you know, not only we put a better action plan in place, but also just reset the expectation of like, hey, you are not going to be perfect. Let's learn how to be okay with that. And your actions are actually going to follow through better than when you were being hard on yourself and saying, I need, I just need to dial it in. I just need to be perfect and figure the F out. Otherwise I can't reach my goals. So We were able to put her in a better headspace as a whole because of that just overall expectation of like perfectionism, which is again, what that lack of self-compassion will perpetuate. So I think it's all really deeply intertwined.
2: Yeah. And that's something that we we've talked about. About, Sorry, Marilyn. Um, That's something that we had talked about with Marissa, with your personal uh, experience with fitness. When you used to, you know, you had this idea of yourself working out five, six days a week, and struggling to hit that and then you know like let's say you only hit four but you're like I'm still a failure and so reframing and just being like hey let's just like try to go three or four times and if you go three and four like that's great and it's the same action you're still going to the gym four days a week so like reframing and thinking differently about your actions again it it's it's the same exact thing that you're doing but just a different way of looking at it
0: I forgot about that thanks Yeah, I'm actually going, I'm actually back to going five days a week now since making that shift, I was like holding myself to a standard, was not hitting it, was like, all right, I'm just going to go two or three times a week and we'll just see what happens. That was last December, I think. And since we moved, got into a groove, like I'm hitting five days a week, no problem. And it's literally just like, that is what it is now. And I don't even put the pressure on myself. I kind of just say like three is a minimum, like four would be great five would be better, but like, I'm looking forward to it and I'm just making it happen so much more easily than when that pressure is on like five
1: days or bust. So yeah, good reminder. Yeah. And I was also going to say too, it's like, um, I feel when we put that pressure on ourselves to reach a certain goal and we have to be perfect with it, we're so focused on the outcome as opposed to, this is kind of like the outcome versus process sort of, you know, Um, goal, it's, it places such an emphasis on that. And so we tend to lose sight over what really matters. And what really matters is moving your body, feeling good, and having self-compassion and realizing that you're doing the best that you can. And it's ironic because I've noticed the same thing. I would put a lot of pressure on myself to hit like five or six days a week of training, because I used to be able to do that when I was a college student, and now I just don't really have the capacity for it. And I'm 28 years old now. Not saying that that's old, but life changes. Things change. So yeah, I I put that pressure on myself, and I noticed I was getting zero out of seven days. And it was mind-blowing to me. How come I wasn't showing up? And I realized it was the pressure I was putting on myself. So I made my goal more achievable. And I forget what exactly this person said, but I remember hearing that um, you should underestimate your goals. Because if you underestimate your goals, you're likely going to end up going beyond that and feeling really, really successful. And that is what keeps you in the ring. That is what keeps you going, that feeling of success and pride.
0: I feel like that's a very delicate balance to strike for a lot of people where we need to underestimate And I think a lot of it also comes along with experience and timeline. So like someone who, for example, is listening to this podcast or is working with us as clients, they're coming from a long history of basically going 100 to zero, zero to 100 over and over again, and putting that pressure on themselves, never reaching what they think their goal is. So I think a lot of it has to do with kind of where you are too, but you know, starting out, if you're trying to break that relationship, like just having being able to underestimate your goal, have that, you know, more realistic thing that you're able to blow out of the water and be like, wow, I'm so proud of myself. Um, But also, I feel like it also comes to a point where we also want to stay challenging ourselves. And so it's, it's kind of a tricky balance to strike where it's like, what is that underestimated goal where challenging myself enough to keep myself moving forward. But at the same time, um, I'm able to consistently be consistent and, and make that happen. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But just like as you know, a coach and somebody who is always trying to keep people in their zone of proximal development and pushing them you know, 1% further, I feel like that's where that gets lost for a lot of coaches, a lot of people. It's I always need to be moving forward. Why would I set a goal that's so far below what I know I could do. Um, so I think being able to just reframe that and maybe find a middle ground there, um, for a lot of people would be the solution.
1: Yeah. And I was going to also say from my personal observations with clients, I feel that a lot of clients that need those more entry, I don't even want to call them entry level goals, but the smaller goals, smaller steps, the ones that need them are typically the ones that are the most perfectionist, the most self critical, the hardest on themselves. And instead of using that time to pressure them to go to the gym, what would be considered optimal for their goals, we're using that time to break free from some of those negative thought patterns, some of those, uh, those discouraging beliefs about themselves, and work on developing self compassion. So when the time comes, they're ready for a bigger challenge. And it's not they know how to handle those emotions it's not like they're flooded with negativity but that they can actually have a little bit more self-regulation tell us more about that process in particular so how i work with clients to develop more self-compassion
0: yeah and just exactly what you said about like um you know being able to regulate those emotions as they come in being able to like actually handle that versus like when in the past, it would allow, it would just have them crumble
1: at at those emotions feet, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. how do you do that? There's so many different ways, Marissa, as you know, <laughs> but um, first and foremost, I think that a lot of it, well, we have to know what's in our scope. Number one, we have to recognize if this is somebody who really needs the help of a therapist, a psychologist, a mental health professional, and if they're able to do it alongside the program, because we have a lot of clients who are in therapy and we work really well with both, with both of those things, um, with our side of things and with the therapist side of things. And so there are some clients, Marissa, as you know, like we've had to either end their contract or turn them away because their problems are just a little too big for us or not within our scope of practice. So if it's, within our scope, meaning we just noticed they're having some self compassion issues, they're not deeply ingrained in trauma or, you know, things like binge eating disorder, you know, eating disorders are not within our scope, then I do feel it's okay for us to do this work where we start to break down some of these beliefs. Um, One of the things I like to focus on is mindfulness and self care. So As you probably know, we have a method that we use at PCC, it's called the ACT method. ACT also stands for acceptance and commitment therapy, which kind of aligns with this method, ironically, but uh, it's not acceptance and commitment therapy. ACT stands for acknowledge, connect to a value, and take an action. And uh, there's a lot of methods like this. We also have the RAIN method. The RAIN method stands for recognize, accept, investigate, nurture. And then recently, I've actually been using another method, so many methods, um, the mind, body, cue, and self care method, which I actually um, was inspired by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. I think that's how you say her last name. They're two registered dietitians that actually founded Principles of Intuitive Eating, and their work is deeply embedded in these self compassion concepts. So, all of these have the concept of mindfulness in it, um, connecting to a deeper value or to how your body's feeling, understanding what your body needs, uh, what you need in that moment, and then taking an action in accordance with either that value or what your body needs. So for example, ACT, you will acknowledge any sort of, you know, stressful emotion or just any emotion whatsoever. Um, then you connect it to a value because anytime we feel some sort of emotion, it's typically because it's connected to something we care about. If we didn't care about it, we probably wouldn't have an emotional reaction to that said thing. After we connect it to a value, um, by the way, you can Google list of values and you'll see all the different types of values. There's literally thousands of them, but some ideas of values are things like, um, kindness, compassion, patience, maybe competitiveness there's so many values that you can choose from and you know finding the ones that really speak to you is important because we all have slightly different values but when you connect that emotion to a value and realize that this emotion is being triggered because some value is not being met then you can take an action not on the inciting situation that stirred up that emotion but take an action in accordance with the value So as an example, let's say you overate one day and you're feeling really, really, really crappy about yourself and you have a lot of shame and guilt. So those are some feelings that pop up. So you acknowledge, I'm feeling really shameful. I'm feeling really guilty because I overate and I did not wanna do this. You're gonna connect it to a value. Maybe your value is feeling balanced in life. And that also means feeling balanced with food. And that situation, did not make you feel balanced. It made you feel out of control. It made you feel like you weren't listening to your body. And therefore, your value of balance was not being met. Instead of taking an action like a lot of people who don't have a lot of self-compassion, what they'll do, they will act on the inciting situation and they will end up in this loop of, well, I feel crappy, so I'm gonna engage in the thing that caused the crappy feeling anyways. Um, alcoholics have this a lot, right? Like so if they're setting, really high expectations for themselves to limit their alcohol consumption, they will end up drinking more because it's kind of like a screw it mentality, all or nothing. I'm gonna do the thing that made me feel good in the first place, even though it's gonna make me feel crappy. And so it's kind of like that cycle and it's really hard to break. So somebody with self-compassion won't act on the inciting situation. They will act on what is going to bring me closer to my values because I'm feeling disconnected from it right now. So that might mean I'm gonna go on a quick walk outside and get some sunshine because that makes me feel balanced going on a walk or I'm going to drink some water and stay hydrated because that makes me feel balanced and healthy and you know really good despite just overeating a second ago. Um, and usually when we do this, we're listening to our self-care needs, our basic needs, and we are also strengthening our values. And when we do that constantly over and over again, you start to act more with integrity in accordance to your values. And it is such a wonderful feeling, honestly. And this has been not only life-changing for my clients, but I don't do, I don't recommend anything to my clients unless I've done it first. And it's been life-changing for me as well.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about so many clients and, and I'm sure that there are people listening who resonate with, you know, you sometimes when you feel like your, your actions and intentions are aligned. And I see, I think we see this a lot with self-sabotage, right? Like you have clients who are like, I want to lose weight. um, I want to get healthy. And then something happens where maybe they overeat, they go over their macros and they continue in that action and they continue to overeat or just say, it's kind of like that screw it mentality. But I think it's super interesting how you're talking about like Uh, finding values and what is super important to them and coming from it from a different perspective rather than like a coach being like, well, you were wrong, like you screwed up. Let's, you know, we need to, we need to work on that. Like you need to be more adherent. Um, So coming at it from a different angle, and I'm sure that your clients really appreciate that in a coach.
1: Yeah, I like to think so too. Um, We've had really positive feedback with taking this approach as Marissa could probably also attest to.
0: Yeah, um, I've actually been doing some work with like emotions, emotional awareness, emotional regulation myself, and I'm doing this course. I think I've told both of you about it, but, you know, I'll kind of drop tidbits here and there in the podcast and our group calls and stuff. But basically, you know, I'm, I'm on week four of 12, so I'm kind of keeping it under wraps for now, but I am learning some really good nuggets. And a lot of times it's not even... It's not even like things that I didn't necessarily know. It's just things that are kind of intuitive that you like maybe know in a different way, but is now applied in this context and is applied more directly and just makes sense in a new way. And one of those things was actually an analogy and it, it's kind of along the same thread, right? We're we're thinking about, we're feeling some type of way about something and we'll keep it fitness related. We overate or we missed a workout or whatever it is. And uh, the course that I'm going through, the instructor using example of, you know, one brother hitting another uh, one brother made the other brother angry. So they one of the brothers hit his brother with something and he acted on that anger. And so the main takeaway from this is as a parent, you would typically say, hey, don't do that. What that kid automatically associates is basically it's not OK to not only hit my brother but it's not okay to feel anger and so what this course is actually having you do is really think about separating the action from the feelings themselves and i think this is similar to the act method in where we are really acknowledging how we feel but then taking an action that differs so i think it's kind of like two of kind of the same concept just explain different ways um, and the main takeaway from that was you know it's okay to feel literally anything that you feel it's not you feeling the thing that is the problem it is the action that you take after you feel it as a response to that or as a reaction to that that is the problem so it wasn't the issue that the kid felt angry at his brother you can feel angry at your brother great do it like just be angry (laughs) but hitting your brother is not okay and so that was kind of the lesson taken from that I think it's just very interesting to just take something that seems so simple but just actively separate it right? Because like intuitively we know, yes, it's okay to feel angry. No, it's not okay to hit other people, but we often lump that together in one assumption of it's not okay to do that period. And then what do we do? We subconsciously take that and we say, well, I can't feel it. So I need to just feel the other thing. You know, The overeating made me feel good for a second. I can't feel guilty. So I need to overeat more to just feel okay for a little bit longer. And so I think it just like that was something that I thought of that I, it really ties into this very nicely.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, one of the, the articles I read was talking about this theory that people um, usually overeat in an attempt to escape negative self-thoughts and beliefs and unpleasant thoughts and feelings about themselves. And I think that, yeah, when we try to blunt our emotions, um, we're not able to emotionally regulate. Like regulation, emotional regulation has emotions in the word. <laughs> I mean, you can't separate that. and um you can't neglect that part of yourself. And I think that also is such a big theme of the mindfulness concept and self-regulation, holding those emotions in non-judgmental awareness, allowing ourselves to feel it, being aware of the the painful experiences, and um but also not getting so carried away. And, you know, When you try to hide it sometimes we do get carried away and we do I over identify because we think this is a problem, why am I like this and we create this dramatic storyline in our head and yeah it ends up doing the opposite effect.
0: I have like really become convicted lately that emotional regulation is like the key to long-term success like being able to actually have emotional intelligence and awareness with yourself and being able to like stop yourself process something and then make a different decision definitely I think is like the cornerstone that a lot of like fitness nutrition things are like almost barely scratching at like they're scratching at the surface of like mindset coaching and being able to you know have a growth mindset and like we're like scratching at it but i really think being able to like just regulate process accept your emotions move forward differently is the key to actually making strong behavior changes in your life and like i feel like even just with this conversation i'm like more and more convicted i'm like this is the thing that is like really changing people's lives
2: yeah well coming also from counseling not just not just with yourself but just with relationships too so i think that i mean I think it's like, yeah, this is a health and fitness podcast, but we do spend a lot of time on mindset and you can take this and apply it to so many different areas and you would probably see a really positive change.
0: So I'm going to ask you the wrong question, Marilyn. Um, because as soon as I say, you're going to be like, no, that's, that's not how we need to think about it, but how do we stop negative thoughts and negative emotions?
1: I know I saw this in our notes and I was like, interesting, Marissa, because why would you say why would you frame it like that? But um no, I I do think that there is a method in, in the mental health sphere where thought stopping, that's the method, thought stopping. I do think that it is effective. Um, but I think that if we try too hard to change our thoughts, if we don't hold it in this non-judgmental space, if we simply tell ourselves, um, oh, why am I thinking like this? Like, stop thinking like that. We have this judgment around it. That's not effective thought stopping. So there can be room for stopping our thoughts. But once again, it goes back to being able to have that mindfulness about them. Um, So I, I do think that a better way, instead of trying to constantly change our thoughts, or constantly trying to stop them from coming in, is to hold them in this non-judgmental space, acknowledge that they're there, and then move forward with something like the ACT method. Because typically if we're having these negative thoughts and emotions, sometimes we're missing out on a basic need or something that's bothering us. We we, we need to meet some sort of need to help us through that situation. And I do think that holding that thought in a mindful space allows us to actually make that change and allows us to actually create some, maybe not necessarily positivity, but create some sort of transformative change in the direction of our values or our goals or whatever. Um, but there is this really great video that I share with clients often. And it's about how, if we try to constantly change our thoughts or, um, you know if we have negative thoughts coming in we try to constantly uh change it with like a more positive thought it's like playing chess except that there's endless pieces coming in so every time like a, a piece or a player whatever what are they called little pawns and stuff like that yeah every time one of them gets off the board a negative thought another one comes in so it just keeps coming in keeps coming in so you know we've all experienced this where we're like bickering in our own heads and we're just Playing even like tug of war with a monster, right? And the the secret is the the monster never loses tug of war. So you're literally tugging on this rope, or maybe you're playing chess and you're losing because all these pieces keep coming in. It's a never-ending game. So the best way to handle those situations is to either drop the rope or just watch the chessboard be the chessboard. Don't be the players trying to play. Um, so I think I really like those analogies because when you stop fighting against your brain and start accepting it, I feel that's when we oftentimes make change and start to live more happy lives and more productive lives and lives that are aligned with our values.
0: Mic drop. Um, I'm curious though. Um, cause that's a great answer to that question, right? Like we can like try to necessarily stop. I would say, in terms of stopping negative thought patterns I guess the most direct answer I can think about for this is choosing not to assign them value um so choosing actively not to over identify with a thought right because it's going to come in but how far in the door do you let it go do you let it like poke its toe in or poke its nose in or do you like completely open the door and welcome it with open arms so I would say If I'm gonna draw it out that way, that's how you would stop it, is you would not allow it to have value. You wouldn't over identify with it and you would allow it to just be a thought that passes in that river instead of like letting yourself jump in or welcoming that thought in the door. So I guess I just thought of that, but you know, that would be a way to quote unquote, stop those things from happening. (laughs) But um, I'm curious, how has this all, cause like, I mean, it's not necessarily that this stuff is recent in your coaching practice, but it's just like these methods and like all the research and the true application of a lot of this, I feel like has really like been not a recent development, but like a very strong development in your coaching practice. So like, how have you seen that really show up for people and how has that changed your coaching style and the results that the people you work with see?
1: Oh goodness. It's amazing when people are open to this method and open to not having a strict timeline on their goals. I find that a lot of them have greater body satisfaction, greater adherence to more complex goals like macro tracking, you know, training um, consistently of greater body satisfaction, greater peace with food, which is a huge one because we often look at food as the enemy sometimes unless it's X, Y, and Z, you know, healthy or whatever. Um, so just more balance with food, more confidence. The only way I could describe it is a lot of my clients just shine brighter. Um, and yeah, they just seem happier. And we have one client in particular, and, uh, you know, she's done macro tracking in the past, she's lost weight through macro tracking in the past. She's done the whole thing, the macro tracking, I believe she's done a reverse diet, all of that. And then she came to us. And, um, she had gained a little bit of weight back and, you know, I think she was expecting a macro tracking program. And when we started implementing different concepts of self-compassion and taking things a little slower, she constantly says this it's so different than previous coaching programs where she's just given numbers and things like that. She feels like she can actually stick with this and usually after a diet, I think she said her weight would kind of go up and she wouldn't, she would have a really hard time maintaining the weight that she lost. But this time around, she's transitioning really smoothly into intuitive eating. Now that she's at her weight goal, she's really happy with her body. She's staying active and energetic. And she feels like she's kind of achieved her ultimate goal, which is permanent change, (laughs) permanent change coaching. Um, And that's just so amazing to see. And I think that. A lot of people have that goal of I don't want to do macro tracking for the rest of my life I don't want to be on a diet for the rest of my life, I want to just get to a place where i'm happy and maintain it with balance, and so I feel like this has really taught people. A different definition of balance, um, where they are still motivated, and they are still taking responsibility for their actions, they're taking responsibility for their bodies and their goals, they're not being complacent. Because I think a lot of times when we think of balance, we think some people are complacent, right? We go back to that negative connotation about balance, um, that we're lazy, we're, you know, overly forgiving with mistakes, when really, balance for a lot of people is staying on top of their body, their self-care, and taking responsibility for their actions and feeling really, really, really good at the same
2: time. I love that. And I think that again, like it, it really goes to show with, fitness coaching it's not just macros it's not just workouts like there is so so much that goes into it and if you are someone who maybe it maybe is struggling and you're not exactly sure what it is that is keeping you from reaching your goals maybe look a little bit more inward and see like what the the conversations you're having with yourself what are the thought patterns and um maybe see if there's anything that you can find there. And maybe that might give you a little bit more insight into how you could change in the future to see more, uh, more results. And again, it is not just about, you know, making sure you're, you're super fit and healthy, but like the, how you talk with yourself and, and probably seeing some more happiness in other areas of your life. So I really love that. And I think that you guys are doing a really awesome job with your clients and it's been really, really cool to see you guys evolve, um, over time, but Um, Marilyn, so we ask every single guest who's on our podcast, I'm sure that you are very familiar, but, uh, if you could have one tip for living a healthy and sustainable lifestyle, what do you feel like that would be?
1: I feel like my answer is going to be pretty obvious. Have more (laughs) self-compassion, definitely have more self-compassion. And if anybody needs exercises for that, there are, there's so many resources online that are totally free. Start working on some of these exercises, it might feel corny, it might feel overly formal, but it will become a more natural part of your life. And you can go on self-compassion.org and, um, you'll see the practices tab and there are self-compassion exercises. So I'm not associated with this website or affiliated with it, but I just truly believe in this, uh, in this work. All right. I love
0: it. Well, uh, briefly, where can the audience find you? and connect with you marilyn
1: so i'm on instagram Marilynk.fit, and that's pretty much all (laughs) you can find me on pcc's website um but that's my main social media instagram and um i believe i have a facebook page but you'll also just find me on pcc's free facebook page as well that's
2: where i'm at most of the time cool Awesome. Well, thanks for hopping on the podcast, Marilyn. We really appreciate it. And guys that we hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast and you can find both of us on Instagram. You can find me at Chrissy Lynn fit and Marissa's at Marissa Roy fitness. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we hope to see you back next week.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast and we hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something from it. Please remember that Christina and I are not medical professionals, so if you're going to make any changes to your exercise or nutrition routines, please consult with your doctor or medical team first. Finally, we would love you even more than we already do if you took the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are how this podcast moves up the ranks and becomes accessible to even more people. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday here at the Barbell Lifestyle Podcast.